Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. So if you haven't listened to the really the previous two episodes, the um, last one was on um, Nostalgia Strikes Again, and it's how we're experiencing all these like nostalgic programming choices. Like for instance, literally yesterday, actually, um, hilariously, on um, first, um, not yesterday, but I think, I think maybe today? Whenever July 2nd, whenever July 2nd was, maybe, um, probably Saturday, um, the new, the newest season of, um, Classroom of the Elite just premiered, and that, even that opening feels like a certain era of anime past, a recent era, but still a certain era of anime that isn't around anymore, and that show feels exactly the same and it's this weird nostalgia hit and it's very strange it also literally takes place it's doing the thing of like if you didn't see the thing that was like i think damn near 10 years ago oops you're gonna have to go up and check up and catch up on that thing real quick because we're not going to explain it to you we're just going to tell you who the new people are which i find hilarious um but so definitely go check that out and that's the last Sunday edition and the third day edition is of the last third day edition is kind of like a Sunday edition in that it is dealing with it is using anime to look at the potential consequences of Supreme Court decisions which is a very weird thing that I knew I was capable of and I just like took a big old swing at it so definitely go check that out um, I had a lot of fun doing it it functions it functions a lot differently than the previous, than the, like, other iterations of this podcast have, because it uses a lot of, um, clips from shows, literally, like, sound clips from different shows to prove my point, um, so to speak, but definitely go check that out, it's, I'm really proud of it, so definitely go listen to it, but what we're here to talk about now is something much less serious. And that is a um, little show from the most recent spring season. And it only had its first core out, but I think there's enough there. It's like a full season, so... Um, or full, a full half season, I think. It's 12 episodes, which I think is a half season. Um, and that is Spy X Family.
So, because the world of manga, so I have a way I like to think about entertainment and it's kind of like funneling process. The more active the entertainment as the entertained to be in its consumption, meaning the more the more active you have to be in like the part in the participatory part of participation and entertainment, the less people will do it. And video games is a weird thing in that scenario because video games are insanely popular, but they require an intense amount of pop of enter of participation to get the entertainment value out of them. That's part of the reason why Let's Plays are so popular because you can get the story of a video game without having to have this literal skill to oftentimes play through to the end of said video game. It's also really why lots of video games have um, different levels of modes and it used to be in the 90s that they would, on the easy mode, they would like call it baby's mode or something and make you feel really bad. Um, I think up until Metal Gear Solid Five Phantom Pain, they had a chicken suit they put you in if you kept fucking up that hard, if you kept fucking up too hard on um, Metal Gear, in Metal Gear, that would just let you get through the, go the goddamn level. But recently they've, um, they'll either take one of two approaches to an easy mode. They'll say, um, relax mode or something like that. And they'll say, if you just want to enjoy the story and have a good time, this is for you. Or they'll say story mode, straight up story mode. And they'll be like, this is, this is so you can play and feel like you have played, but primarily you want to see the story of this game. And lots of games now have that, and they've moved away from this, like, shaming people for not having the dexterity or skill to play a game that might have a great story. Um, there are also always going to be exceptions to that that are, like, pose themselves as being for gamers or whatever the hell. But my point here is that the more active a form of entertainment is, the less people will take the time to engage with it. And, my, and the reason why I'm saying this is because a thing that is common is that manga is the, like, proving ground for what will become an anime. You look at all manga and increasingly web comics, Korean web comics, no less, are kind of the proving ground for what will be adapted into anime. And they and those and companies looking to create thing to adapt things into anim, into animated form will look at, you know, numbers and statistics around currently available manga and um like manhwa and webcomic stories. Um there's always going to be anime originals, and anime originals are interesting because they are not about adapting a previous set story, so they have more freedom with how they build the story and the world around the concept of animation instead of taking what is essentially a big, long storyboarding session and translating it into animation, for lack of a better concept there. And what 
ultimately ends up happening is yes, there are tons of people who read, say, um, something like a anime that just got announced, um, Solo Leveling. And Solo Leveling has had fake announcements about being an anime for, I want to say, a couple of years now. But I've never read that thing. I'm not going to seek it out. I'll, at this point, I'll wait for the animated adaptation and then do the cursed thing I always do, which is maybe like it enough to read ahead in the manga, in, in, the, in the original story of it, which is, the, I believe, a webcomic. But the because it's such a big thing and because there are so many people reading manga, but there are also so many people not reading manga, it's often that something will get adapted and you'll have heard of it, but you won't have seen it. And the reason why I'm saying this is because Spike's family is rare. It, it's a, it's a, of, of a rare breed of manga. A, Shonen Jump did an amazing thing lowering the barrier to entry for reading things like um, Spike's family. For, for reading the entire Shonen Jump's like, um, Kodansha catalog, really. In that it went, it went the way of a digital distribution that costs literally two bucks a month and it's basically all you can read. I think you can, I think you're limited to a hundred chapters a day, but even for manga, that's a pretty high bar. I think, I think maybe I've, re I've reached that once on like vacation, maybe. But the thing that that did was it allowed people to you know, throw twenty, th throw two bucks a month at a, at, at Shonen, at Biz, at Shonen Jump, and say like, I want this, and now you can read anything on there for free, and, and, Spy X Family was on there, and Spy X Family for a number of different reasons that we'll get into, exploded as a manga, first, and exploded at, because mostly because of the um fantastic little gremlin that is Anya, who, once again, we'll get to later. But, it enjoyed such a popularity because it was a heart, because it was and is a heartfelt comedy, drama, spy, thriller thing, that it had a massive popularity coming, I mean, even I'd read a certain amount of Spy X Family by the time that the anime was announced. And so it came in with this huge fan base that was really excited to see what they would do with it. And they kind of knocked it out of the park. Well, actually, let me put it this way. They knocked it out of the park for what is out now. Because the other part of Spike Family is it is not... It is not derivative of other things in a way that... Much of anime now has some callback to other anime. So if you look at, if you look at even a thing like Solo Leveling, that was just announced, that is tied up in the whole isekai, you know, shonen power fantasy thing. And I've talked about that. And I talk about what I'm about to say in what I'm about to say. About, what I'm about to sing the praises of for Spike Family in a previous episode called, um, called Under the, I think it's called Under the Influence, and that's a Sunday edition, you can go find it in the feed, 
but what Spike's family is doing and what Spike's family is influenced by is very different than much of what's out there. And that's part of the reason why I think it's so successful. It's it's pulling influences from spy thrillers. It's pulling influences from comedy. It's pulling in influences from 60s mid-mod style. In fact, there's an um, article that I'll try and find the link to um, that is from um, Animated News, News Network. I think I linked in the, um, in the Under the Influence, um, in the Under the Influence Sunday edition that I did, but it's all about the chairs featured on the covers of the, um, collected volumes of Spy, of Spy X Family. And all those chairs are really famous designs. <laughs> like, so famous that if you look up those chairs these days, you'll usually find either knockoffs that are that, that are pricey but understandable or originals that are stratospherically expensive <laughs> like like the um ball chair that you see their dog I forget the dog's name um he just showed he literally just showed up in like episode 11 of the anime um of the of the first core of the anime um the ball chair that you see him sitting in is like I looked I looked that chair it's it, I think it's called the ball chair and it's also famous for being the chair from the examination portion in the first men in black movie that chair is currently an original it is somewhere around the $35,000 range of if you want that thing tomorrow that's what you're going to have to pay um but the the influences contributing to Spike's family are not abnormal in the anime space. And what I mean by that is we used to get a lot more of this and it used to be a lot clearer. So if you look at, um, and in the recent past we have shows that are examples of this. If you look at a show like, if you look at the manga for a show like um, Tokyo Revengers, that manga the covers of that manga are like, oh, this person just devoured Paradise Kiss in their use. And that, like, you can, if you've seen Paradise, the Paradise Kiss manga or any of Ayazawa's work, you look at the covers of, um, and even the styling in the manga for, to, for, and the anime, quite frankly, for Tokyo Revengers, and you're like, oh, this person. This person has followed Ayanawa for at least a good long while. And that is very that is or used to be very common among anime cre among anime and manga artists in the fact that like if you look at Miyazaki, he's obsessed with machinery in a way that and lots of that's because growing up his I think his grandfather had a um had a was an aerospace engineer and made planes for a living. Um, you look at Goro Miyazaki, and Goro Miyazaki is hilariously obsessed with Boo Radley houses. Um, to take it out of the Miyazaki realm of it, you look at um, Kishimoto, the creator of Naruto, and he is deeply obsessed with ramen. Like, deeply obsessed with ramen. That's why Ichiraku ramen is so heavily 
featured in Naruto, it's that's like that's a piece of the creator's heart in his thing. And there is even an end of um, Naruto Shippuden that like is just a time lapse of Ichiraku Ramen's like dining counter and like people meeting up there and eating ramen and like meeting up there going somewhere else you know Naruto eating ramen there by himself as a child which is soul wrenching and like the whole the like opening up of the shop the closing of the shop and it's this whole really detailed thing that like strikes you as odd when you don't know that about Kishimoto but as soon as you do you're like oh oh he specifically asked for this which I love. But the, like, obsession with 1960s ephemera style, and specifically, like, 1960s Herman Miller chairs? Like, there's a poster in the, like, there's a pretty prominently featured over the phone poster in their house of, like, a Herman Miller chair design that's pretty well known that just like it, it, it you did set dressing, and it's just in the background. That combined with the very sixty style of the way the characters dress, and the like, the also the like nineteen sixties seeming of really the um the the B plot that is that is pretending that it's the A plot. <laughs> Um, which is the spy drama in the background, which is spy drama that's undergirding all of this, is really unique for this period that we're in of anime because so much anime is like, um, is like Shield Hero, and in that it is, and this is this isn't a bad thing because one of the ways you get some of the better shows that have ever been made is that they're sitting there and they're screwing with pre-established things. They're remixing things into new things that wouldn't have existed before. Um, in, in some sense, a show like, um, like, uh, what's the, um, like, um, ReZero doesn't exist without shows like Escaflone going for the isekai, for like the transport to another world thing years ago. And if you're like, what do you mean Escaflone? Like if you've seen clips from Escaflone and you don't know what that show is, that show is an isekai from like the 90s. I'm not kidding. Go watch it. Or if you want to be depressed about it, go watch the movie. Um, cause the movie's super sad. Um... The show's also sad, but it's, like, less, less soul-crushing about it. Um, but the long and short of it is that this is, this show is, pull, is coming from such a different place than the stuff around it, that even, that even if the manga wasn't a big deal, I wouldn't have been surprised if this show was just, like, a knock, it's like a knockout success from episode one but once again because it the barrier to reading it was so low you know the right people passed it around and enough people had access to it where it was able to come into its its time as an anime adaptation and have a 
huge following already. Already have a recognizable brand. Um, and on that note, let's talk a little bit about the show in question. So, the influence stuff that I just finished talking about was a huge, is a huge part of why this show is probably so successful. But a definite part of why this show is so successful is Anya. And a big trope in anime because of the core, you know, demographic of anime is adults suck. And kids, and like, but the kids are okay. And you see this in most of Trigger's work. You see this in tons of, you see this in Naruto, like the original parts of Naruto which hilariously I'm leaning on a lot here, weirdly, um, pit these kids against each other, pit the, like, core cast of Naruto against each other, and throughout the show, you see that with the exception of, like, a couple key figures, the majority of the, like, the majority of adults you meet outside of the team leaders in original Naruto, like, Faith-level Naruto are monsters, are just either monsters or assholes or both. Even Guy Sensei is a little, is a little much. Like Kakashi's reactions to like the way Guy has taken to um, teaching Rock Lee are very understandable because he's basically like. Motherfucker, that's a child. Why are you teaching them, like, the most dangerous way to do shit? You... Guy Sensei has committed child endangerment a lot with, um, Rock Lee, and it's not okay. But more than that, like, the... The... Characters in lots of different shows, the the quote unquote adult characters in lots of different shows, are like not great people or perceived to be against the main cast or something like that. Um, but in those shows, the other thing is that they always portray the kids as being like the most badass, awesome version of whatever that kid can be. In Anya's case, it takes a much more realistic approach. But then, like, because the comedy manga, they dial it up so it feels goofy and fun. So, like, so Anya is of... I think... I forget how old Anya is. But she is... She's a, she's a little girl. She is, um... Who's adopted by um, Twilight, the the main the the ostensible main character of at least the first like third of the episodes, um, and Twilight is is a spy tasked with um, saving with maintaining peace between um, basically East and West Germany, <laughs> and. 
he has to infiltrate a school setting and like spy on this one specific character named Desmond who you've only ever seen in pictures you haven't actually met him yet I don't know if you do because I haven't read that far in the manga but he so he has to like he has to adopt a child find a wife and like make a family as an artifice for his goal and the show does a really good job of a um making that happen in a way that feels not natural but understandable and making that happen in a way that doesn't feel un- unless it's for comedy's sake creepy <laughs> um so he his his first task is that he goes and goes to an adopt goes to an orphanage and he says I'd like to adopt a child and his goal is to adopt a child of like some intelligence some like like decorum and like class because he wants to send them to this prestigious private school that he needs to infiltrate in order to get close to Desmond his target and he finds Anya and the thing that no one knows about Anya because she is a like a failed experiment essentially is that she has psychic power. But she's also like a little girl. And that means that her psychic powers are not super in her control at all times. And that turns that turns on her constantly. So like she when she, if she focuses hard enough, she can hear people's thoughts specifically but she always kind of hears people's thoughts so she instantly knows that twilight is a spy and she like basically cons her way into being his daughter by like following his his mental lead in finishing a complicated like adult level crossword puzzle in the in like the paper and the that's not helped by the fact that the um the owner and operator of the foster of the foster home she's in is like this kid is weird i want to get rid of this kid this kid is a fucking tiny gremlin and i'm kind of scared of it i need to get rid of this kid and this this guy seems taken with her so off they go and throughout the show like anya is earnestly trying her best but she like doesn't know what to do and the show the show makes her out to be stupid in twilight's eyes but she's not really she's a kid she's a kid who like has spent a lot of time in the foster system it seems like at a young age so she's very clearly a disadvantaged kid who this adult is not is not doing a great job at height at even if you couldn't read mine hiding his desire for her to be an overachieving perfect student from the minute go and that's a lot of pressure to put on a little girl and like and she does her best her best is still like a two on a test instead of on a out of a hundred by the way so she like 
can't keep up, but she's doing her best, and she's trying to use her powers to do her best, and ultimately by the end of the show, she has, like, used her powers in a way that helps people, and in that, after that moment, she, like, pauses, and she's like, I've never used my powers to, like, help another person. I've always used my powers to, like try and advantage myself and it's never really worked particularly well and you see that she is learning and she's learning in a different way than the people around her might want her to learn but by writing her like a true little kid and not like some savant genius and writing and really writing all of the child's characters who is a big part of the cast of this show like little kids it all fits together much more naturally and also like allows for comedy when like you see like when like Anya is just like a little derpy kid and she wakes up in the middle of the night and her face is all fucked up because she thought she heard something in the other room and she, like her face is just incredible her face is like a her face is a meme-generating conceptual machine of this show. The faces she makes are, like, things you would see little kids do, but, like, turned up to 11, and it's hilarious. It is hilarious. A couple, a bunch of seasons ago, a couple years ago at this point, there was a show called Shimonetta. And... Shimonetta had this one faith, and a couple other shows have had stuff like this too, but Shimonetta is the one that sticks out in my mind, of a character in this show, just, a female character in this show, just perving out on a different, on another character. And people took that, and they made bumper stickers of it, that you could like stick on the bottom edge of your window, and they were like, I'm sure they sold very well, because it was very funny. Every face in this show that comes out of um, Anya is that good. It is, like, perfectly timed, great visual gag humor in a way that is unlike little else around right now. And... You match that with the circumstantial comedy and the underlying very serious storyline that and it makes for great makes for great comedy. It makes for great comedy in a way that is very different from anything from anything else on and very different from anything that anything else on could do because of the way that the show is written to play up to play with all the building blocks that it gives you that it sets up it always messes with those so one of the strengths of a good story is that it uses its own context really well um a show that did this incredibly was 
and it actually is because it's still got another season coming out eventually at some point. Um, Doctor Stone. Doctor Stone kept building on its own on the scientific concepts it presented as like, and they would make it very clear for you in the in the beginning of an arc. They'd be like, "We're trying to get to working telephone, but before we get there, we need to take all these steps." And they would sh- have epi- like whole episodes devoted to like, "This is how you make glass. This is how you make a light bulb. This is how you get electricity." And they would like go down through the chain and get you to working telephone, basically. Or there was another one where they're like, "We need to like." We want to get to ramen. Here are the steps. They did the steps. And kind of produced a very shitty quality ramen. <laughs> that like, no one, no one, and the funny part of that particular, like, arc of that show is that, like, nobody from before everybody turned this, nobody from the modern world could consume this ramen because it was just, like, compared to what it should be, it was just dog shit. But everybody else, like, all the people from the Stone Age were like, this is incredible. You've created God food. And they're like, yeah, sure, eat it. Eat these weird fucking noodles. They're fucking nightmare things. What, what, what we're looking for? This ain't it, dog. Um, but... Shows that do that very well, shows that use their own building blocks to build off of, You are usually really successful. Um, another uh, show, Classroom of the Elite, does this also. It does it in a much more puzzle boxy way, but it, all, but it uses all the things that it's introduced to tell the story it's telling. To set up the problems and and find and sh- and find answers for the problems in the same way. Spy X Family adds comedy to that equation, but it also is very aware of like here's the here is the goal. The goal is you know get closer to and spy on the character of Desmond, who you haven't met yet in the show. And I don't, I'm, once again, not sure if you've met him yet in the manga. I can see a scenario where you haven't. Um, but... Then they set up the circumstances in which that could be possible. And then they set up the challenges that need to be overcome to get to that circumstance. So, my point here is, is that this show is a comedy show, but even as a like narrative, it's it's a really good functioning narrative. Like you could you could wa- I wouldn't be as good by any measure, but you could strip out most of the comedy of this show and the show's concept would still work. And it helped that much of the that the that the comedy is delivered straight. It's not delivered as... Com- it's delivered as comedy bits, but not intended as comedy bits by the character doing them. They just make it fucking hilarious. It's like... The, there's a... There's an early... There's like a... Maybe midpoint... 
in the season um, scenario in which like Anya wa- Anya wants a, like a celebratory thing for doing well at something, and she wants to go to this castle that's on her spy cartoon, and it like evolves pretty rapidly into this big spy mission thing that they all take very serious part in and turns out to be like a lead into a really touching moment between Anya and um Twi- and Twilight um who I forget Twilight's like fake name but it through like the comedy of it and through the like just kind of cutesiness of it it um Lloyd Forger is his it's like his like cover name it all it all congeals you know what is also a really touching story about found family and about like appreciating something you've never been able to have and but because of your ostensibly your job you're forced to have and it's all it's all just super 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 well done in in a way that yes something like Cromori High School is well done but it's well done for other reasons it's trying to accomplish its comedy solely for comedy's sake like you watch something like Cromori High School you're not by second one you are not expecting to come away with like a heartfelt moment at all in that show every single moment that could be like a touching moment in Cromori High School or could be like a like a dramatic moment is immediately undercut for comedy and that is what that makes the comedy work in that show this show does all the comedic thing but also does all the heartfelt dramatic like touchy-feely stuff and holds both of those in the same at the same level constantly so like when Anya's when so there's a great scene in one of the episodes where um Lloyd Twilight whose handle name is Lloyd is like Oh, she's learning something from the TV show. This might be able to help. And then he tries to, like, couch a math question, which, to be fair, she's, like, in the first grade, and, like, they're trying to get her to do, like, sixth grade level math, and I'm like, that's never gonna work. Like, that's gonna be really difficult for any kid. Um, but, and especially when, like, those kids have two very, that kid has two very inexperienced parents at doing this and they don't know how to like couch it in a way that the kid will eventually get it um but Lloyd tried to like couch the math question in a way that Anya might want to like actively think about it and Anya gives the exact same answer to the previous question which would write for the previous question to the current question and (laughs) That's the comedy bit. But then the dramatic bit is first Lloyd trying to like adapt and be a better like homework helping parent 
And then he just, like, kind of loses it on her. Because his first... Because his attempt at, like, trying to help her fails. Just immediately fails. In a way that's, like, adorable and a kid thing and, like, makes the audience laugh. But then what follows is you're the mom of this found family, who we'll get to after this, um, is like, yeah, she stormed off because you're putting a lot of pressure on her. And maybe you should, like, consider how tough this is for her. You know, she... And the, the show does a pretty good job of keeping track of its lies because it's a show about a spy and he tells a lot of... He tells a lot of unnecessary, very fucked up lies to, like, create an air of, like, truth. So in this show, in, in as far as yours concerned, she is Lloyd's second wife. They are, like, dishonestly married because um, the country is, like, very on the brink of war and fucked upness. So people are suspicious of, say, single people. So Lloyd says, hey, we might want to not just go on a date. We might want to get married just for appearances. And I'm sure this is a thing that has happened. But um, Yora's like, um, yeah, that makes total sense. I will do this. And, but in her head, she is this girl's new mom. And she sees her new fake but also real husband struggling with this. And she's like, hey, let's all take it down a notch. She'll come out of her room eventually. If she doesn't, you can go in and talk to her and, like, just figure it out. And when, um, by the end of the episode, when Lloyd eventually does go into Ani's room... Being like, hey, Anya, are you okay? He sees that she's been trying to study and trying to, like, get it. And she'd fallen asleep at her desk. And he's just kind of proud and, like, hopeful for a second. And you as the audience are, too. And the great thing about um, Anya's powers, Anya's psychic abilities... It, that's primarily what they use it for. They use it for making the subtext straight up the main text. Like, because Anya's constantly hearing everyone's thoughts, she hears all the, like, mental math machinations of Lloyd as he's like, if Anya can't get this, she can't be an Imperial Scholar, which means we won't be able to go to that luncheon, and I won't be able to complete the mission. The mission depends on her understanding 2 plus 2. Or whatever the math problem was. But, so there's that putting pressure on her. There's that presenting an opportunity for her to, you know, be of worth to her dad. Because, once again, she's just a kid. She, it'd, be be, it'd, be, it'd actually be worse if she was a kid and if she was like a teenager and her dad adopt the only reason her new father adopted her was for a special mission not because he actually wanted to adopt a kid and care for a child and she knew 
But because she's a little kid, she doesn't know any better. And because she's a little kid from a very fucked up system, she really doesn't know any better. And she's just trying to do her best so that she doesn't let her parents down. Doesn't let her parent down. Um, Yor is a little different. And you add in the character of Yor, who is a assassin, who, who literally kills people for hire, and also works in a government job in a time of strife when, like, spying and, like, information leaking is a regular everyday thing who ends up agreeing to marry um, um, Lloyd because she thinks that, rightfully so because other people have said this to her like, single women are seen as, single people, single women, but single women especially are seen as suspicious, especially when they work in government jobs because they could be spies. And she ends up being a great source of comedy, mostly just because the show knows how to use her well and uses the fact that, like, she has been a woman living alone as an assassin for years, so she's never really had to have a secret life, but, like, now she does. So she's, like, gradually, like, oh, I didn't... I didn't... I learned a striking post thing from watching kung fu movies as a kid. I don't actually meet... I don't actually, like... And then I researched it. It's not like I used that to kill somebody last week. <laughs> um, and it's just... The whole thing is so good at circumstantial comedy and the timing of universal comedy that it is really exemplary and if you haven't watched Bike Family yet I encourage you to watch it you can watch it on one of the two on the largest of the two places to watch anime now which is freaking Crunchyroll um but it's available the the by the time I release this all of it almost all of it, if not all of the first core of the show should be dubbed so that's also nice um, but, and the second core of the show starts in October. And I, I just, the reason why I'm doing this now is because I didn't want to wait till October to talk about this. Because the reasons this show is so great will not, are not likely to change between the first and second core. And on that note, if you like this episode, new episodes of the podcast come out every Thursday and every other Sunday. Every other Sunday is a, what I call the Sunday editions, and they're more metatextual. They're about the industry. They're about fandom. They're about animation and all that stuff. The last Sunday edition was all about um, nostalgia and the kind of, like, nostalgia plays that are going... that are either in production or going into production or being released currently, since there's a bunch of them. <laughs> and I just found it really interesting. Um, and third day editions are more like this. They're about a show or property, unless I got a real bug in my bonnet, and I make something completely experimental, like um, the last third day edition, which, once again, was all about, like, looking at the potential, like, 
fallout from Supreme Court decisions using specific anime to kind of like map out what the future could look like. Um, and if you are at all interested in that, I encourage you to go see that because once again, I'm really proud of it and I want people to listen to it. So on that note, I hope that you share this with your friends. I hope that you subscribe and wherever you're listening to this episode right now. But until next time, I have been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio. I will talk to you on Thursday. Chini Masarumon